You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Welcome, everybody. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio. This is episode number 500. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in. This program we're going to be dealing with... We're we're eventually going to head back to the larger catechism, but um, kind of a topic that's close to my heart and something that's, um, I guess, a burden. If I don't record it today, I probably won't deal with it today. And one of the things that, one of the reasons why I'm going to be doing the, t- the topic we're going to be doing today, is, which is hell and its consequences, is... There's a lot of ways in which we as Christians, we don't like to think about hell. We don't like to think about where so many people are going to go outside of, well, where everybody outside of Christ is going to go forever. Um, I remember actually one of the reasons I'm doing this program today is last night, I just, I don't know what time I woke up, I woke up in the middle of the night and had this kind of sense of, I don't know, not panic is probably the wrong word, but just this sense of the brevity of life. Um, you know, I'm going to be 40 next year and you get to a certain state of your life and where you wonder where did all that time go and people you, you know and love are getting older and things like that. And some of them, there's so many people in the world who don't know Christ and I think the Lord's kind of placed that upon my heart. I suppose in the midst of so many things, sometimes you you, you go into ministry, you're, you're preaching, you're ordained, you've been trained, all that kind of thing. And we can get this thing in our heads where, well, a number of people, the, the number of people coming to your church is a indicator of success or failure, depending on who it is. And, it has kind of really come clearer and clearer to me that we can often miss the wood from the trees or what I mean in a hundred years and two hundred years and three hundred years time where will where will we will we be actually maybe even we don't know i i none of us know how lot much longer we have in this world. this life is but a vapor that appeareth for a little time. And then vanisheth away, James wrote, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. We don't get another chance to do over. Once we die, we die, and then the judgment is appointed unto man once to die, and then judgment. Do we think about that? And we, 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 we really don't think about that nearly enough. Something that is sure to happen, that is death, that is an enemy, which will not be done away with until the end of time. We will all face death. But not all of us will face eternal death. We will all die, our physical bodies will die.
but not all of us will face eternal death in hell. And it is that scary thing of there are people in churches, in religious backgrounds, who've gone to church their entire life, think they're fine, and and I not even include Rome, uh, Protestants, I grew up Roman Catholic, I just believe that as long as you kept going to Mass, in my case, we forget too that this can be, the, this is the case in Roman Catholic homes, virtually all of them, and the odd, if there is one or two here and there that know the gospel, I believe they'll eventually come out, uh, because the, the Roman church is uh, apostate, and it is under the lead of the Antichrist, the man of sin, a sort of perdition. But how many people think by going to church, they're fine? How many think by taking that certain box in religious performance and they're okay? For the rest of the week, they don't want to talk about the Lord. But the... But the thing that's even scarier about that, not even the obvious examples of people you'd, you'd really wonder, we, we don't know people's hearts, of course, so we need to be careful about that, is when Jesus said this to people who emphatically declare that Jesus is Lord. Matthew 7, verses 21, 22, and 23. Not everyone who saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, this is not, Jesus is not speaking there to the heathen, the nations the Gentiles outside of what was the visible church at the time, the nation of Israel or mainly around Judea. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says unto me, Kurios, Kurios. Which is... The Greek way of translating, I think we lose the sense of it at times, Jehovah. The word, the Hebrew word Jehovah, or Yehovah, in the Latin, or not the Latin, the Greek Septuagint is Kurios, Kyrios, how you pronounce it. So not everybody says to Jesus, Lord. Now I know there's Adonai as well in the Old Testament, but both of them are curious. Not everyone who saith unto me, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says to Jesus that whether you take it as, here is the Lord, who says, I am that I am, or that Jesus is master. Shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says that Jesus, is, and not only do they say it once, they say it, you know when they say it twice, you know, 
Amen, amen. Jesus said um, in John chapter 3, when he repeated it twice, why is emphatic. There's emphasis. Yeah, we sometimes kind of do it a bit in English, don't we, today? I really, really like something. <laughs> sometimes we do that. I don't know if that's proper good English grammar there, but they did it anyway um, at that time. I don't know if that's kind of a, a borrowing from Aramaic or something like that. But but not everyone who says emphatically that Jesus is Lord, they're very emphatic, they're very insistent about it. Not every one of them is truly a Christian. Now, there's people we wonder and worry about, and, we, and sometimes among people barely struggle to even have a conversation with the Lord with. And you'd hope that they're saved, you'd all that kind of thing. And you don't know people's hearts. However, this is not talking really about them, is it? It's talking about the person who, from a religious point of view, is probably quite impressive. And not all of those people who say emphatically, now this is not to say that you're supposed to be suspicious of everybody, but but not everybody in the visible church, in the visible expression of the church, who profess faith in Jesus Christ, are truly born again of the Spirit of God. Now, we need to be careful about this. There will always be tares among the wheat. We're told to not uproot both, uh, try to uproot the tares, because we will also take up the wheat. Jesus warned them in that parable in Matthew chapter 13. So, we're not to try, I know this is this human response, we think we can get rid of all the unconverted people, get rid of all the Judases, get rid of all those kind of people, and then, well, church life will be much, much better and all that. And then, look, I understand that kind of way of thinking. It's just not biblical. Now, certain times people will manifest themselves. They'll go, they went out from us, for they were not of us. First John talks about that. Showing openly that they were not Christians, born again of the Spirit of God. Some people will leave because they will not wish to be under any kind of form of church discipline. They'll demonstrate that they do not wish to be seen as Christians anymore, and it'd be open manifest. But this is not even speaking about those kind of people. It's speaking about the everyone who says, Lord, Lord, that says that Jesus is my Lord, emphatically. Not all of them will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But who will? Not those who make the strong, even the strongest profession, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, Jesus said in Matthew 7. 21. How many will say to me in that day? Many. Not some, but many. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Again, they they don't just, they're, they're not just, oh, I knew my whole life that I was a fraud, a false convert. No, they'll say, Lord, Lord. And what will they say? 
on that day those who will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Will they realize and see that it's not of their own works? No. Have we not... Lord, didn't we do these things? Not prophesied in thy name. They, they, they told people about Jesus. Prophesied can, can be misunderstood. I mean, yeah, it can be uh, a message supernaturally given by the Lord and all these kind of things. It can be different things. But in in the widest sense, prophesied is declaring the truth. Centuries ago, would be applied to largely to preaching and things like that. These people have told people, in most general sense, we could say, have told people about Jesus. And in thy name cast out devils. They've even done impressive miracles. Well, he's done miracles. Therefore, he must be. <laughs> um, hmm. And in thy name, you could even say today, look, look at that preacher. He's got these impressive skills and even people converted under him. And in thy name done many wonderful works. But notice the the trust. There will be fruit that comes out of our lives, absolutely. Good fruit in and through Jesus Christ. The Lord will do things and give us holy appetites and all that. But we don't trust in those fruits. There's a warning sign too in this. Here is the religious, very zealous person doing all these things, committed to all these things. But they're not really doing the will of the Father. Not really. They're trusting, they're still trusting in their own works. Their own works have become, or they still are their idols, have never actually fled from their idols. It's a very outward, hypocritical religion. Verse 23, and then will I profess unto them, they profess Lord, Lord, but he will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, eat at work iniquity. So again, this isn't the obvious person. You know, you might go to certain parts of places that are very religious and parts of the Western world and places where the gospel used to be vibrant and no longer is. This is not even speaking about those people necessarily. This is speaking about people who will emphatically declare Lord. They do it today and they will do it on the last day. And they will say, look at all the things that I have done. But they are self-righteousness. They they are self-righteous. And Jesus will say to them, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. One of the biggest problems that the first century Jews, this is the first century church prior to the destruction of the temple and all this kind of stuff. They struggled with the idea that they they were sinners. The gospel really was for other people. And don't think for a second that that can't happen in good, 
even sometimes where the gospel is kind of preached, places Protestant and all these other things, good history behind maybe even the good preachers in the past, that this kind of thinking cannot creep in. That we, by our own works and righteousness, we don't see ourselves as sinners because we have the good stuff and we haven't, we haven't done the, the name the sin that other people have done. No, we are just as guilty. We are just as hell-deserving as anyone else. And if you don't see that, I'd be very, very concerned. What did Paul write about the Jews? First century religious groups. You know, this is the, the this is the first century church, you could say. Prior to the, the, the Gentiles and the nations and all those around being grafted in by faith and by faith alone. He's, Paul writes under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, Romans chapter 10, verses 1 following. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have zeal for God, of God, but not according to, to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now, this would be amazing to, when was Romans written? Maybe about the 50s or something like that. Um, in the first century, Paul's writing this to the Romans. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Do you think that they largely even recognized that they needed to be saved? How many in that religious culture which Jesus came into his own and his own received him not? How many of those people realized that they were in trouble? That they needed to be saved? Very few. And Paul writing under the inspiration of God, tells us why. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. They have a zeal. There's a zeal. There's an enthusiasm that they have that you may see for a little bit and maybe even be quite impressed with from a certain point of view. But it's not a zeal according to knowledge. It's good to be zealous. But it needs to be not a self-righteous zealousness and just an activity for activity's sake, but according to knowledge. What are they what are they ignorant of? And it says, Paul writes, for they be ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness and have to submit themselves unto an and have not submitted themselves into the righteousness of God. So they think their own righteousness is pretty good. And this came in largely, what, through the Pharisees and others. And remember, the, the Pharisees were not, they're not like they were today. If you call somebody a Pharisee today, you'd probably get quite insulted. People would. 
But back then, if anyone's a Christian, not even Christian, but if anybody's saved and going to heaven, it's the Pharisees. That's why when the publican is comp- or the tax collector is compared with the Pharisee, that parable in is it Luke chapter 18, that is so shocking. That's why it is so shocking. I don't think we largely forget the significance of the publican today, that they were really some of the, morally, some of the lowest people in society. You know, we think, oh, a tax collector today, is that really so bad? Not really, but they were they were basically stealing from people, and they were allowed to do that by the Roman authorities who controlled it at the time. So, you know, the, the tax collectors or publicans, as it is in the authorized version, they defrauded people. And, ye, and the worry is, we, we talk about hell and its consequences in this podcast we're talking about. When you have a situation where people are zealous, have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge, they establish their own righteousness, they have, have their own activity and their own things, and they have their own standards, anybody falls short of that, they will feel their wrath. but they haven't submitted themselves to the righteousness of God, a righteousness that they can attain, but can only be imputed to their account by faith in Jesus Christ, because it's unattainable. It's absolute perfection. None of us have loved the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength as we ought to. Not for a single second, not for a single millisecond, not for a single moment. Have we ever done that? And if we're ignorant of God's righteousness, we're going to go about, if we're religious, to establish our own righteousness. Rather than submitting ourselves unto the righteousness of God. You see, for Christ is the end of the law. Not that the law is done away with, in that sense, but for, for justification. For the righteousness by which we are accepted on that day when we stand before God, that righteousness has been completed by Christ. Everyone that believeth, it's the end of the law. The law is no longer what's going to condemn you, or it will condemn you, sorry. The law, your own works are not going to be What's going to determine your eternal destiny? If, 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 if your own works have anything to do with it, you're going to hell. So this is, this is a message that needs to be reckoned with and soberly in every other sense for the most zealous religious among us. All the way to the person who doesn't care and doesn't think about it at all. All the way to the, the Psalm 14 person. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. There is none that seeketh after God. There is none righteous, no, not one. So, and, and everything in between. All need to be saved. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because there's going to come a moment 
when we will breathe our last breath and our heart will stop beating. And there's no more opportunities to seek the Lord while he may be found because he, at that point, there comes the judgment. And the righteous, holy, and just wrath of Almighty God will be poured out upon those. His perfect, righteous anger will be poured out upon those who have not been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, who have not been washed in his blood. Because if they seek to establish their own righteousness, they haven't trusted in the righteousness of Christ, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. But not to every single person, but to those that believeth in him. And Jesus warned about hell. He warned many times about hell. Never ever fall into the trap and the lie that as believers in Jesus Christ, we no longer need to think about hell. Jesus warned several times a religious generation that had grown up with the grown up with the gospel in many ways, but was ignorant of it. They had the Old Testament. They had the law and the prophets. But teachers like Nicodemus, when Jesus was speaking to him in John chapter 2, he was ignorant of the need to be born again, to be born from on high. They did not think that hell was something that was going to affect them. You see, many within the visible church or the visible expression of the church at that time did not think, well, you know what? Well, that judgment, yeah, that's going to be upon the nations. And we want to be rescued. Yeah, we want to be rescued, not from damnation. We want to be rescued from the Romans. (laughs) We want to be rescued from that kind of captivity and that bondage. And today, we can have very, very similar things. We, we think mainly about political things. Jesus warned about hell. And lovingly, brothers and sisters in Christ, we also need to do the same thing. It says in Matthew 5, verses 21 following, Ye have heard that it has been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. And that word hellfire there is Gehenna. Gehenna was kind of um it was a refuse dump it was a a place outside of the city filth and dead animals were thrown and cast into and there was a continuous burning in what was originally the valley of Hinnon south of Jerusalem and it was this kind of symbol
of what would happen to those people. One day. It's a frightful picture. That's why you get these pictures of Gehenna. Now, how many of us will think, I wish to think about hell? How many of us will wish to think that so many of our neighbors and friends, people we know, people we know of, people we come across, are on their way to eternal fire? And the wrath of Almighty God. Jesus warned, again, this is not just a random crowd. It was coming up to Jesus. You know, we, you know, you use street evangelism and praise God if you do and you're involved in that. And somebody's street preaching and then there's people heckling and not really paying attention and all that. A lot of these people, generally speaking, would never maybe have darkened the door of a church in their life. This was a religious generation. That Jesus was largely speaking to him. He came into his own. And his own received him not. He didn't just come into one of the foreign countries. One of the, the, the nations that. The gospel did spread beyond the borders of Israel. Yes. But he was warning that generation. Which probably thought he didn't have to hear anything. But you know those negative things about hell. And we need more encouraging messages. And all these kind of things. And they did have that attitude, you know, back in Jeremiah's day, prophesy unto us smooth sayings or words. They don't want to hear. A religious and hardened generation does not want to hear about the reality and the danger of hell for those in their midst. Because even back then, as it is today, the best churches on the earth are going to be subject to mixture and error. And there's going to be tares among the wheat. And there's going to be those people who attend church week in, week out. And will spend an eternity in hell. The, the worst place in hell is going to be the person who has heard the gospel week in, week out for many, many years. And has trampled it underfoot. Because either we, we savingly trust in Jesus Christ, we're grateful for what Christ has done in the, in the stead of sinners, or we will despise it. What is it with you? Before we, we look to your neighbors who don't know the Lord, what about you? And you say, I'm a wretched sinner. And you see nothing in yourself to save yourself. But all your hope is in Jesus and you look to him and to him alone. And if you trusted in him, then you are saved. But many people don't want that. They want to contribute something of their own works. They don't want to see and acknowledge how sinful they are. 
And so they will squash this message. Jesus goes on to say, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, this is verse 23 of Matthew chapter 5, verse 24, Leave there thy gift before the altar, go thy way, first be reconciled to thy brother, and then come offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him. Lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the the uttermost farthing. Again, a warning about hell. You see, because there was a lot of hypocrisy taking place there, and this is one of the examples of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy kind of comes from the idea of wearing a mask, pretending to do something, you know, putting on your Sunday best and and acting a certain way in church, but the rest of the week, completely different. So, talking about your religion being lived out, your, your profession of faith being lived out, and Jesus bringing before them the law, calling them to... Be first, you know, be reconciliation with your brother. Don't hold anger against your brother in your heart and all these kind of things. And agree with thine adversary quickly. Basically repent. And a believer, a believer's life is an ongoing battle. With the world of flesh and the devil. And putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Putting to death the deeds of the flesh. It's mortification of sin. And if you, put to, if you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. Not because you've done those things, but that's what a believer's life is. Whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary should deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee over to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto you, thou shalt no come out thence until thou hast paid the utmost farthing. If you are someone who does not seek reconciliation, then it may be an indicator that you've not sought reconciliation with God, you don't think you need to find reconciliation with God. And that can be its own prison. And it is its own prison. It's a slavery to sin. And you will have to pay for your own offenses. For You haven't sought reconciliation with God. There's been no peace with God. You will have to pay the utmost farthing. You will have to pay every last bit. And a person who has to pay his own debt, his own sin debt before God, how long does that take? How long does it take for you to clear your name by paying for the justice of what you have done against Almighty God? Again, in Psalm 51, it says, Against thee, the only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. How long will you be there? Facing the just penalty and penalty for sin. What value is demanded by the law of God when you break the law 
of the one who is of infinite value. Well, it's of infinite duration. Your penalty, what's been poured out upon you in, in, in eternity, it's never going to be enough. So hell is forever and ever. Even if you only sinned once, it is against the one of infinite value. Now, we've sinned far more than that. In Adam, all die. But in Christ, all shall be made alive. We're told that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But, in, but if you're in Adam, every single person is dead. All die. Dead in Adam's sin and dead in your own sin as well. In verse 27 of Matthew 5, I mean, there's other parts we could look at as well, but Jesus warned so much about hell. And Jesus was the most loving person to ever walk upon the face of the earth. I hope you agree with that. You have heard that it was said of them in, of old time that thou shalt not commit adultery. So he's looking at the law of God. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So he, he's taking the law, but he's taking that external religious almost acting that is probably taking place at that time and going deeper down into the heart issue that, we, yes, we have, sought, we have sinned in, in deeds, yes, and adultery is a great evil, but more than that, into the heart of the person we have sinned not just in deed, but also in thought. Our thoughts, if we are to lust after, it is sin and wrong. So it gets down into the heart of the very matter. And really saying, in a way, are you a slave in your heart to sin? Because somebody's still a slave in their heart. is not putting to death sin, not just in an external form, but in in an in their inner life, in their inward life, that their inward affections are being changed. Sin is being put to death inwardly because that's what a believer looks like. And Jesus warns them, if that's not the case, you're in danger. You're in danger of, this is not like you get a second chance. And No, there is, once you die and f- face the wrath of God, there's no do-overs. He's, he is so emphatic, he even uses a very graphic image to help them to get this across to them. Verse 29 of Matthew chapter 5, And if, they, and if they, thy right hand offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy old body should be cast into... Gehenna, hell, a place of punishment, that place of burning refuse, a place of hell. Rather than all, uh, the, the picture here is it's going to cost you, yes. Something, something is valuable to you, like an eye or whatever, but it's preventing you from following the Lord. Cast it from you. Now, thy right hand. See, the, the kind of discipleship Jesus is talking about is not this kind of just go to church on Sunday kind of thing. 
If anybody spoke like this today to a to modern Western church, you'd probably get in trouble. But if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. Now, obviously, he's speaking kind of metaphorically, but it's a very graphic image, isn't it? And cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that the whole body should be cast into hell. It has been said, whoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorce. So it's like really, really warning them about an external, hypocritical, performative, you know, merely just going through the, the mere acts. I said, well, I haven't committed adultery. Oh, I, I love my neighbor. But in their heart, there is a lusting. In their heart, there's animosity toward their brothers. In their heart, it's completely different to what's in, out in the outside, and, and that will wreak hypocrisy. The, the eye, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, the eye, what it does, what it sees, what it lusts after, remove the source of it. If you can't see something, whatever that thing is causing you to lust, get rid of it. And look to Jesus alone. You see, in coming to Christ, you're forsaking by coming to Christ in order to come to... I'm going to be careful with my word here, but when someone comes to Christ, they're not bringing their idols with them. They leave their idols behind. Repent and believe... That's why sometimes it says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repentance unto life is turning unto Christ. Someone who believes, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, is someone who's trusting in Christ and Christ alone is really not trusting in their idols anymore. Now, the eye, and then, then we think about the hand. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. These things we put our hands to. We see something first, then we reach forward for it. Maybe the hand is causing us to sin. Get rid of it. Anything that is getting between you and the Lord, cut it off. So does that sound anything like casual Western Christianity, which is just basically like, well, just make sure people keep coming. Just make sure the people keep coming and the, the pews are full or whatever else may be. Yeah, it may, may, may make us feel better in the short term. But is our work in order to keep all that veneer? And they had many people professing faith in, in God in the first century too. But what is it but wood, hinge, stubble before the throne of God? The kind of discipleship Jesus is speaking about. So the people are not lying to themselves. Is one where if something is coming between you, if something is, if, if there's sin rooted out, 
Now, again, we have to be careful and point out, yes, our own deeds are but filthy rags before the Lord, and none of it can save us. But if we're living hypocritical lives, you know, mere veneer of morality, we must be careful. Because if, if our heart is saying something completely different to our outward actions, may make us feel good, but we're in danger of hell and all its consequences. Even Matthew 10.28 says, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him that is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. In hell. Again, that's that word Gehenna. Once again. Matthew sixteen eighteen. I mean, there's plenty, there's many, many places you could look to, but I say, and I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the gates of death or the gates of destruction or whatever. Christ will build his church. Jesus said, I will build my church. We must be careful that we're not trying to build our own church. The church we build will be filled with people who are in danger of hell. But the church that Jesus builds, that will prevail. And I'm not talking about individual churches or anything like that. This is talking about the church universal or church small c, Catholic, not the Catholic church, but the Catholic universal. But just to get back to this very, very basic point, because we can get very, very comfortable and think everybody's a Christian and not want to offend anybody and all these kind of things. One day, that person that you see won't be there anymore. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's such a brief, short life. It's a puff of smoke, a puff of smokes. It does not last for a long time. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Vanity of vanities, a puff of smoke of puff of smokes, nothing of nothings almost. What is in this world, what we invest so much time in, what value will it have in eternity? Of which we may be soon in there. No matter what age you are, you may be young or old, it doesn't matter whether you're whether you're 10, 20, 30, or, or 80, none of us are guaranteed another day on this earth. And you may be in eternity far younger than you anticipate. Or realize, or, would it, or guess. Your eternal Destiny is far more important than the latest sports scores. It's far more important than the job you'll have. It's far more important than the house you, the temporary house you have in this world. It's far more important. The and the eternal destiny of your neighbor is far more important than any discomfort you may have or we may have in order to get that message across to them. Because one day. They're going to be 
facing the wrath of God if they die without Christ. And that should be an absolutely terrifying reality. Because I remember, I don't know what, was it 3am, 4am when I woke up? And that sense of the brevity of life really, really struck me. That there are people who are going to breathe their last and they're going to face hell forever. Not for 80 years, not for 100 years, not for 200 years, not for 1,000 years, not for 20,000 years, forever. And the thing is, anyone's in hell, we, they will deserve it. Anyone's in heaven does not deserve it. It's because of the merits of another that is Jesus Christ. And friends, I will say, first and foremost, what are you trusting in? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Do you have confidence in your own works? And if you have confidence in your own works to get you to heaven or to be acceptable before God, they will fail. You're in danger of hell. But if you have no confidence in your works, none, you see that your greatest deeds are but filthy rags. Jesus is Jesus' righteousness is perfect, sufficient. He has paid for the sins of all those whosoever will believe in him, but shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That the, the merits of Jesus Christ is enough. And you look to him. And how do you know you've really trusted in him? You are following him. Yes, imperfectly. But it is a narrow way. It says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Enter ye in the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be that go thereat. Again, this is a religious generation he's speaking to here. Because straight is the gate. And narrow, or difficult, kind of constrained, constraining, is the way. Narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. It's not an easy way. It is a narrow way that leadeth unto life. Now, when you hear of a, uh, something that tells you that it is a narrow way, who is going to want to tell you that it's not? False prophets. Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. But I just hope, look, I can give, all, I can give you all the quotes and all the... I think we all know Jesus warned about hell quite a lot. But I think we can have it all in our heads but lose the horror and the reality of the situation that awaits how many people in this world. I think in the UK, United Kingdom, there's about 1,600 people who die every single day. The only reason I know that is because in the last few years with the whole COVID nonsense, you know, that old head cold we made a massive big deal about. But I digress. Um, 1,600 people die 
every single day in the United Kingdom. I don't know what the numbers are in other countries. And we were so concerned about when the numbers for you know COVID was about 80 or 100 or whatever. It's not that we shouldn't be worried about people dying. But what we were thinking about was the here and now. We place the temporary health of people above the spiritual and eternal health. That was one of the things, looking back, one of the biggest mistakes we made, we all made, myself included, in 2020. Many of us did anyway. There were some great exceptions. People kept open. Praise God for those people. But so many of us placed the physical, temporary, here and now health over eternal destiny. That's the sad thing. The spiritual health of people seem to come last for so many. We're not saying the physical health doesn't matter at all, but the spiritual health of you, your family, your neighbors, your nation, our nation, whatever, is far more important than anything else. And if we get that priority wrong, we're going to be worried about all sorts of other things, but not worried, worried for one of a better word, or we're not caring as much and being burdened enough and and cry out to the Lord enough for those people who are in danger of hell, who are on that wide road that leadeth unto destruction, who will wake up one day in torment. In the agony of God, where the worm dieth not. And that sensation of agony and pain will never dwindle or diminish. Why? Why? So, like, we must we must get back to that thinking about heaven and hell and eternal destiny, not just about how many people go to our churches. We want people, first and foremost. To know Christ. Now, going into all the world, the, the, the Great Commission is not just about getting people to make decisions or anything else like that. It's about making disciples. Now, going in to preach the gospel, that's speaking about preachers, not, not speaking about every single person. But you can share the gospel, anybody who's a believer, you can you know talk to people one-on-one, all these kind of things. Go ye therefore, and this is the end of Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, all things, whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. It's not about just getting people to come. We want people to come to church. I'm not saying we don't. And it's great when there's extra people there, and it's great when there's visitors. Not saying that that's a bad thing, that you shouldn't think about that thing at all. I'm just saying the most important thing, the Great Commission, is not just about that. It's about making disciples of the nations. 
That's an interesting word, isn't it? Nations, you could talk about that. Baptizing them, bringing them into the into the church. To what? what what's the whole point? That they would observe all things. What things? What things are the all things? Whatsoever I have commanded you. Who is that? Jesus, who has all power in heaven and on earth. So that they would observe all things. Does it sound like it's just about, well, do the least amount possible, get saved and do the least amount possible? No. Not at all. And those people, that's not, that's a wor- That's a worrying sign. If you're just thinking about what's the least amount I can do, I'm not saying, look, there's going to be people in, in heaven that are going to surprise us. We're like, really? That guy? I'm sure that that will happen. And there's going to be people in hell and we'll you know, be surprised also and all these kind of things. But at the same time, the Great Commission is about making disciples. Making disciples that they will be taught the, the whole counsel of God and to do whatever Jesus has asked them to do. That begins in Genesis and ends in Revelation. Hopefully this has been a help to you and a blessing. Um, just something I believe the Lord has laid in my heart. Um, any emails you can send, radio at gmail.com. This has been Paul Flynn. May God bless you all. <laughs>